Hello and welcome to episode 215 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. Nice to see you this weekend, Ben. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was uh, one of our greatest classes slash weekends here in New York City. I decided not to leave. I'm just hanging out at Jason's place. <laughs> um, the weather's too perfect, dude. I can't leave. It's it's too nice. Yeah, it is good. It was just not too hot, not too cold, just right. When will you leave? Um, I think I'm going to probably fly on Thursday. I've got to get back to LA to teach my class uh, this weekend. So I'll be, I'll probably just hang out here for a couple more days. Good times. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Today on the show, we are uh, we have an audio um, review of the LSAT demon with a question about the future of the LSAT demon. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to getting your thoughts on that, <laughs> Ben, Yeah, because mm-hmm. I know you're managing all the development of that. Uh, we yeah. have a, a Pearls versus Turds submission from listener Craig. We have two update emails from LSAC. We got all kinds of big uh, LSAT, LSAC news these days about mm-hmm. uh, the logic games potentially going away and also an update on um, the conversion to digital and uh, some improvements that they're allegedly making. Uh, we have an email about LSAT burnout. We have an update from a student who, ha- another student who randomly went to take the LSAT and g- they gave, gave her a paper test. Hmm. Um, I don't know what this kids aren't being taught how to read thing is, Ben. I, that must have come from you maybe. Uh, uh, nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll we'll see what that is. <laughs> and then we have okay. Kristen's personal statement. Hopefully we'll uh, not be too long-winded and we'll we'll get to that. Um, Great. The October LSAT is coming up on the 28th. That's a week from now when this episode airs. Uh, good luck to everybody who's taking the October test. Boy, they're just coming at you these days, huh? The November I LSAT know. is right around the corner <laughs> after that. Less than a month behind that is the November LSAT on uh, the 25th. That one, I'm, do you know the registration deadline for that by chance, Ben? The November LSAT? Yeah. Uh, that's Already. today. Oh, it's Actually, today. The oh. day that we're recording. Oh. So by the time you hear this, it will be too late. Nope. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you're registered for that stuff. Otherwise, um, you're probably not going to law school starting in 2020. You probably need to get on the uh, 2021 cycle, which yeah. is no big deal. Um, did you? By the way, did you ever hear the book uh, Paradox of Choice? Uh, remind me. Uh, so the book is there's a book called The Paradox of Choice. Uh-huh. Uh, it's named after a, a very common theme or theory or whatever, which is also called the paradox of choice. When you have um, too many choices, you don't choose yeah. anything. It's like you have yeah. less satisfaction because you have too many yeah. choices. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm feeling like with the, all these LSATs, right? Like LSAC was like, oh, we got to be more accommodating. We're going to make more tests available to people. But I do get a lot of people who are, wait, should I take October? Should I take November? Wait, should I take no- January? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be ready by October. Whereas before, when you only had four tests, it's like, well, you're not going to make it. <laughs> in time for September. So now you got to shoot for December. It was, it made the decision making process a lot easier <laughs> yeah. in some ways. So we kind of have a, a paradox here. You have more freedom and a little more angst that comes along with yeah. it. Um, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people burning up a lot of money with, uh, with registration changes. I don't know if that was like LSAC's goal in the, (laughs) from doing this whole thing, but you know, people have to register for the test so damn far in advance. And then if they discover that they're not ready, they end up, you know, having to reschedule and it's just, um, then you just pay so much more with $125 to change your date. 
Yeah. You know, like just. Well, those registration deadlines were based on a calendar that only had four tests before, right? So it kind of made sense, I guess, on some level. It's still way too early, but now it's like overlapping. The registration deadline is overlapping yeah. with the previous test. It's just, it's all messed up. Well, they're just, they're clearly struggling. I mean, they need to get their shit together because they're having people register two months in advance for a test and then they're like canceling the test on people at the very last minute. It's just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the the, uh, the rollout is not going uh, super smoothly, which I mean, predictably, right? Because mm-hmm. it's an incredibly complicated thing they're doing. So, Anyway, um, all right, let's uh, get to this uh, voice message from Julian. Okay. Hey, Ben and Nathan. My name is Julian. I'm a newly subscribed LSAT Demon user. I've been using it for about a week, and my scores have already improved from a diagnostic 156 to a 161. So the platform has really been helping me. My question is if you guys plan to further develop the daemon into a mobile app so users can actually answer questions and drill on the go. I know for my life, this availability could really enhance my day-to-day studying. Hope you guys are doing well, and I love the show. Thanks. All right, so what do you think about that? Uh, We got a five-point improvement after a week of the daemon. Pretty solid. Uh, yeah, that's exciting to hear. Um, I'm sure his score will go down again before it goes up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, maybe it will just always go up, and that's great. But um, don't don't read too much into that. But it sounds like you're going in the right direction, which is good. As for the app, right? We are definitely planning to make an app. That's where the world is going on some level. And uh, I would say though that in the meantime, we're focusing on Demon 2.0. So we made. The first version of the daemon and uh, we added a ton of features to it and those features are now competing with each other for stability and they they create problems for people on occasion thankfully they have been somewhat minimized but right now we're 100% focused on fixing those as part of the rehaul and once the rehaul is done then we can start talking about creating an app although from what I understand once we know what we want which will be finalized in Demon 2.0, creating the app isn't too difficult. Now, again, I don't know when that will happen. Right now, we're just concerned about getting a stable version of the Demon out that works for everyone, cool. not just 98% of the users. Yeah. yeah, and it does work. I mean, mobile right now, right? Like, I have the Demon saved as an icon on my um, home screen of my phone. And I just click on it, and it loads yes. the mobile website, and it, it looks and feels like an app, and I can do LSAT questions from anywhere um, on the daemon. So, yeah. anyway. No, that's a very good point. It is on your phone. You can do it in your browser. I know some people prefer using it in an app, and there are some advantages to that, and that's what we want to take advantage of eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks, Julian. Um, good luck with the daemon. Don't forget to hit the ask button if you're uh, struggling with something and you need more clarification. We uh, will get right on it. We're there to help. Uh, Pearls versus turds. Uh, You want to read this one? Sure. Nathan and Ben, I am early on in my LSAT journey and a new listener to your podcast, which I think is fantastic. Well, thanks. Uh, Thank you for the content. I'm an older applicant, and my tendency toward creative problem solving was initially a detriment to my LSAT performance. Hmm. 
When I first started studying, I would sometimes predict the wrong answer choice or be attracted to a wrong choice that looked interesting. I developed a, ment a mental test for myself that solved this problem, and I suspect that it may help others. The correct answer will make you think, no duh, not aha. Okay. This has been a pearl for me, and I hope it will be for someone else as well. Regards, Craig. Hmm. Um, I, my, well, hmm, what's your reaction to this? I, it's more of a turd than a pearl. I mean, um, the, the correct answer frequently makes me feel like, aha. I think it mm -hmm. maybe just depends on the question type. Like if this is a must be true or a supported or a role, you know, a, a reasoning question where it's top down, mm -hmm. then yeah, I think the correct answer probably feels like no, like no shit kind of. Right. Like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the answer. Cause that's what it said. Or on reading comp, it's like, well, that's the answer. Cause that's what it said. Sure. But on paradox questions or strengthen or weaken questions, frequently the answer is like, Oh, I see. Ah, yeah, boy. You know, like on a strengthening question, a lot of times they'll be like, Oh yeah, that helps the argument a lot. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or yep. on a weaken question, it's like, Oh, Oh boy. I didn't even think about that. But mm -hmm. holy shit, like, yeah, if that's true, then this is going to be a big problem for the argument. So, yeah. and on paradox questions, that's literally what I'm looking for is aha, mm -hmm. right? On a paradox question, there's a mystery and then the correct answer is going to provide a satisfying solution to the mystery. And so that's yeah. never like, no, duh, that's more, it's definitely more like, oh yeah, okay, I see. If that's true, then wow, you know? Yeah. So I'm a little concerned with, um, you know, if you look at the, the higher up uh, paragraph part of Craig's email, um, people get this thing of like, they think that they predict the wrong, you know, predict the wrong answer. Yeah. That's not true <laughs> because what you're doing is you're making a prediction and then you're getting locked into it. And then mm. you're like forcing an answer that doesn't actually say what you think it says. Right. Yeah. Like there's a reason why that answer is wrong, Craig. And it's not just like, Oh, well it's kind of, it has two of the words that I predicted. So therefore I picked it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. But did you read all the other words in it? Because all the other words in it make it conclusively wrong. Yeah. I don't know. You have anything else? No. Well, I would just add that. Yeah. These arguments can have more than one problem. And when you're predicting a solution to that problem or you're saying, Oh, here's what I think is wrong with your argument that could certainly be a problem and you just didn't see another problem or it's possible that you're going after premises when you shouldn't be. And therefore you're predicting problems that aren't actually there or you're creating problems that aren't there. So it's hard to say for sure, but it's very possible that you did predict a problem correctly. You just didn't also open your mind to other possible problems as you were looking at the answer choices. And you, like you said, locked on to that answer or that prediction and then forced one of the wrong answers into that. Yeah. Like the answer, I mean, okay. Arguments can have infinite assumptions, right? Like you can have, I mean, I, they almost by definition have infinite assumptions, uh, necessary assumptions, right? Sure. Uh, every way you can think of that the argument could fail, well, there's a necessary assumption that protects against that failure. And so you, if you predict an answer, you're like, well, well, you're assuming this. 
Yeah, but they also might be assuming a million other things. And just because you predicted one assumption, when you go mm-hmm. into the answer choices, you have to make sure that that answer actually says what you think it says. I mean, they're just, they're, they're not going to, there aren't ever two correct answers on, on yeah. like out of the five, only one of them is going to be right. And so you have to make sure that you're, you know, reading every single word of that answer. And does yeah. it actually answer this question or does it just have like kind of similar sort of the words? And then you're just like pretending like it means something that it doesn't actually mean. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, uh, I, I don't, I can't imagine myself teaching this. I, I think I just, I think maybe Craig, you, you gotta be thinking about two different families of question types mm-hmm. where the no duh. Yeah. I think that's more the right answer on a top down question, but on a bottom up question, I think it's very frequently much more like, aha. I mean, there certainly are no does in bottom up yeah. when you, see the problem and you see an answer that fits or fixes that you're like yeah that's especially like insufficient assumption but yeah like i'm gonna go into these answers nine times out of ten with a prediction but also just zero like zeroed in on the conclusion and saying hey which one if true would weaken the conclusion and certainly there are cases where it's like oh well yeah, that's not good for the conclusion, yeah. and that's not what I predicted, yeah. but that's okay because um, the prediction process helps you identify what the conclusion is and how well it's supported and right. how well it's not supported. We so. had one over the weekend where I was doing a, an explanation, and uh, I kind of you know made a semi-ass of myself where I had I had this objection. And mm-hmm. I was like yelling about it, you know, like how mm-hmm. I just, how obviously like this is a problem and I'm, you know, trying to explain it to the class. And then I get into the answer choices and it wasn't there, but I, mm. but I did when I saw the right answer, I still immediately went like, Oh, Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a problem that I didn't see. I, I, mm-hmm. I had missed that. Mm-hmm. And yet I can still pick it because I know what, I know what it feel. I know what the right answer feels like. So even if it's not exactly what I predicted, it's just like, oh yeah, but this also will do that same thing. I, I'm 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 trying to. I want to be generous to give this a tie, but I'm I'm not sure I can. Uh yeah, it's also kind of vague. I mean, a lot of people are going to hear no duh and aha and. All right, sorry. Wait, what does Craig. that mean? <laughs> you got put into the turd pile, Craig. Um, the what? What do you think about the PS? P.S. Here's a bonus pro regarding personal statements. I once heard from Elvis, a little less conversation, a little more action. <laughs> uh, again, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of vague. And so, yeah, I agree. We keep saying, tell more, tell us more about what you've done. Yeah. And a little bit less about what you've said. So I think that's good. Yeah, it's, sh- um, it's showing, not telling. I, I'm, I'm willing to give Craig credit for that one. Um, yeah, because yeah, we, we do need lots of showing like what people just love to say how they felt about stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't care how you felt about it. You have to show me what you did about it. Yeah. Or what I, yeah. What I learned or, (laughs) yeah, I learned this. I felt this, you know, I, I was reading one yesterday where the, there were like three separate descriptions of heart racing in one part and then like a pit in my stomach on another part of the statement and then clammy hands or shaky hands in some other part of the statement. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I get that you're trying to be descriptive, but you're, all you're doing is 
bullshitting. That's all just editorializing, like telling me, you know, your feelings. And mm-hmm. I don't care how clammy you, your hands were. If you don't like immediately tell me what you did about it. Yeah. You know? So anyway, um, yeah, a little less conversation, a little more action in your personal statement. <laughs> I can get down with that. Sure. All right. LSAC update number one. Um, this was, this came out last week, Tuesday, right after we recorded the podcast. So sorry mm-hmm. if it seems like we're a little bit late to the party on this one, but, um, above the law posted a, uh, it's, I guess a blog post that says major changes coming to the LSAT with removal of logic games section. Subheadline: The LSAT will be forever changed thanks to this landmark settlement. <laughs> you know, this actually this article pissed me off because it was like this this person from above the law just like blanket decided that the logic games are bad, mm-hmm. and because people struggle with it, therefore uh, they're bad. Yeah, you know, like this is the lead of the story. How much better would your score on the LSAT have been if the logic games section? wasn't on the exam <laughs> for a lot of people. It'd be worse <laughs> for many people. It would be worse, especially people who worked hard enough to learn how to do the games and then score perfectly on the games. Yeah. You know, it's like that. I always say that the LSAT's a test of how hard you can work, especially the logic games. It's a test of how hard you can work. It's an opportunity to demonstrate that you're a hard worker. People. Yeah. I wasn't naturally good at the games, Ben, you weren't naturally good at the games. Nope. But you, you did the work. Oh, by the way, I'm a first generation college student. I did the work. I learned how to do the games. I killed the games. Like by the time I sat for the test, I, I knew I was going to score perfectly on the games, Uh, but that's bad anyway. Yeah. The actual news is that the LSAC was getting sued again, this time by a legally blind aspiring law student. And I get it. I mean, I totally get this part of it that, you know, we do teach people to do diagrams like Mm -hmm. written down, you know, like um, visual, like spatial solutions to these games. It's like putting things in order and putting things in groups. And I mean, there's even like mapping games and stuff, right? Where it's like clearly, you know, you're drawing something. Yeah. And um, so I guess this lawsuit was going for eight years and it finally settled and let me see. I don't. Should we read the press release? Should we read the excerpt from the press release? I don't know that we need to necessarily. Uh, the point is, is that they're now going to work <laughs> toward a solution, but they haven't committed to anything, right? Right. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, well, I'll, I guess I'll read this excerpt that they've got here. LSAC has begun research and development into alternative ways to assess analytical reasoning skills as part of a broader review of all question types to determine how the fundamental skills for success in law school can be reliably assessed in ways that offer improved accessibility for all test takers. Consistent with the party's agreement, LSAC will complete this work within the next four years which will enable all prospective law school students to take an exam administered by LSAC that does not have the current AR section. We call that logic games 
everybody calls it, like they call it analytical reasoning for some reason, but continues to assess analytical reasoning abilities. So, and then there was an, an email that came out from, from L, directly from LSAC mm -hmm. to, um, you know, us like LSAC licensees, test prep yeah. providers. And it was basically just like, we're going to in exhaustively intensively review and test and data analyze this for four years. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was, a, it was much more tepid, right? So like the big headlines are like logic games are gone. <laughs> and I get like all these phone calls and emails and stuff like, Nathan, what are you going to do now that the logic games are gone? And I'm like, the logic games ain't gone. They're not gone for, I mean, not for anyone who is studying for the LSAT right now. I mean, unless you're planning to go to law school five years from now. Yeah, they're not gone. And he, the other thing is, what are they going to come up with? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if getting good at the logic games ends up helping people with whatever they come up with. Because it's still going to test analytical reasoning. And so although you might have a shift in skills that you're going to develop, I don't imagine it's going to be too earth-shattering. They, Yeah, they these changes happen very, very slowly. And they, I don't know. What do you think? They should just make the whole test logical reasoning. That would be my preference. That makes love kind that of the most sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of the most lawyerly, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's fun to teach. I, I think it should be fun for people to to study and to learn. I mean, if not, I don't know what kind of a lawyer you're going to really be. Like, if you don't like analyzing people's arguments and thinking about the holes you could poke in them, then I don't know. You know, that's lawyer shit. So, um, yeah. The, see, yeah, it seems to me like they could just make the whole thing logical reasoning, but um, I never understood the difference really between really there's a difference between logical reasoning and analytical reasoning. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm clearly I mean, yeah, especially if you like had a few more like kind of formulaic LR questions. If you really want to get into that, you know. Oh, the yeah, the like real technical ones. Yeah. Mm hmm. Anyhow, that's news that's like almost no news. Um, <laughs> this other quote, rather than engage in a lengthy and expensive lawsuit, we prefer to invest our resources in researching new and innovative ways to assess analytical reasoning and other critical skills that are needed for success in law school. They also had a bunch of bullshit in there, of, co of course, about justice and access and all, you know, <laughs> like, that's just kind of let's shorten that for them. We lost. <laughs> we caved. We lost again. We caved again. And uh, yeah, we're going to have to very, very slowly make some changes. All right. They fought for eight years. So how can they even say that? Or was the eight years made up? I mean, maybe both the law is wrong. But Oh, here's the, here's the email that they sent us. Here's the pertinent paragraph from the email they sent us. Okay. Should mm -hmm. there be any significant changes to format? <laughs> this is from LSAC. Should not saying that there will yeah, be. This is not even admitting that there is just should there be any significant changes to format extensive research and development followed by several stages of pilot testing and data analysis would be required to ensure the continued validity, reliability, and fairness of the test. Therefore, it is too early in the process to speculate on how the test will evolve as a result of our ongoing research. 
We will keep our community apprised as we move forward. You know what it, it really sounds to me like? That that the LSAC said, fuck you. They dug in and they actually defended themselves for eight years. And then finally ended up with a settlement that's like not where the plaintiffs got to declare victory. Yeah. Even though it wasn't actually victory. This seems like a very hollow victory for for this guy. For the, yeah, it does. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's like a war of attrition, right? Right. Well, that's litigation, right? Yeah, that is litigation. And for this guy, I mean, really, he's so he's just spent eight years of his life. What's his goal? In life, he he he's really concerned about the the injustice that's been imposed upon fellow blind applicants. I mean, yeah, maybe so. Um, and so he sees this as his life calling, but it's really put back his law career, right? He's now well, maybe it's catapulted it. I don't know, but he still hasn't taken the LSAT apparently, and um, now he's going to work with LSAC for the next four years. Like, I, I guess I feel like there are much bigger problems in the world to be trying to solve. And I don't know. I guess I'm ignoring the problems of those blind test takers, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, have, I haven't ever heard any other blind test takers complaining about this. Why hasn't this come up before? I don't know. Yeah. I've had, you know, a couple of visually impaired students in my classes over the years. Um, I remember them struggling more. I mean, and they weren't like, you know, totally completely blind, um, yeah. but I have had like a couple students who needed large format print or like even people like with a magnifying glass in class, you know, cause they were like really struggling to see, but they were struggling on like the entire test, logical reasoning and reading comprehension and everything just cause they couldn't like actually see the words, this thing of, you know, the guy can't draw a diagram. I mean, yeah, I get it. And if, Hey, maybe they just determined that, you know, your ability to put things in sequence is irrelevant to yeah. being a lawyer, fine. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, good, whatever. Good for him. He felt <laughs> like he, you know, wanted justice, and he. I'm not sure he got it. I don't know that he like actually won anything. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this above the law article. I just I like I just don't understand what people are thinking. Like the the last paragraph. You know, when asked if he would be taking the LSAT again, Benno, that's the plaintiff, said, quote, yes, and I will pass. <laughs> Is that a real quote? Because the LSAT's not pass, no pass. Yeah, I, I hope it's not a real quote because if this guy is engaged in eight years of litigation and he thinks the LSAT is a pass-fail test, um, he's not the one who should be working on its revision. Right. And then, and then the, the article, you know, the writer here from, from above the law, and she doesn't seem to really understand the test either, because congratulations to Angelo Benno on this hard-fought victory, which will not only benefit him, but all future law students. Well done, <laughs> exclamation point. Uh, yeah. I, I, and it's clickbait too, right? Major change is coming right. in four years, and they might not be major. <laughs> And it's not, it's, it's like the, what's where the editorial it's, I guess it's an, I guess it's an editorial. It's presented as a news item because it has a headline and a subhead and mm-hmm. it's like reporting on this news that came out, but then it's got the well done at the end of it, like a celebration. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, man. <laughs> um, okay. Anyhow, want to move on to the next thing? 
Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so this is a blog post. Uh, again, um, well, we it's an email about a blog post, but this was sent out to, again, all test prep providers. Maybe you want to just uh, read the email? Sure. This is from LSAC. Dear colleagues, with the September score release coming up on Monday and the October 28th test rapidly approaching, I wanted to make sure you saw the blog post that we published earlier today on our Law Fully blog? Law Fully. They think they're being clever with the name of their blog, which is Law colon Fully. Get it, Ben? I don't get it. Law Fully. No, I don't get it. No, I don't get it. It's dumb. Whatever. (laughs) It's just... I don't. <laughs> I was like, is that a person? <laughs> you okay, could just call it our blog, the LSAC blog. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Boring as shit. Yeah. Come here. <laughs> titled, sorry, LSAC. Uh, titled, headed, Heading into the October LSAT Updates Based on Lessons Learned. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, so then we have a link to the blog post. It says, the blog post includes some great information. Oh, geez. You're sounding like Trump. The blog post includes perfect. It's perfect. It's the perfect blog post (laughs) about the September score release, as well as updated statistics on our October and November registration numbers. Most important, the blog post includes some updated policies that we are putting into place for the October test. I wanted to be sure you were aware and that you pass them on to your students because there's some good news for test takers. Geez, I've heard like good, important, great, but I haven't heard any actual information. It's Trumpian, man. It's just the time it's we're in. It's very Trumpian. Yeah. yeah, we should start doing this. This is such a perfect email. It needs more caps, One. though. It needs to randomly capitalize need more things, caps. like lessons Random, learned. Randomly capitalize. <laughs> and then random, like, periods. Okay, number one. That is so depressing. I Gosh, I can't believe the our fact president. that the president is like just an absolute idiot. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I can't believe he's still like tweeting. It's just, I don't know. There was a time that the president was like an educated person. You remember when he started tweeting after he got elected and everybody's like, oh, we thought he was going to stop once he became actual president. Like he could stop campaigning and fighting in that way. And be reined in and be normal. No, because he's like a child. He's like not a smart child either. <sighs> okay. So anyways, <laughs> let's see. What are these points? So point number one, LSAC is allowing most, almost complete freedom. <laughs> Ooh, almost complete freedom. Dude, so you know what almost complete freedom it. means? <laughs> you know what almost None. complete means? <laughs> It's not complete. No. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Incomplete freedom. LSAC is allowing incomplete freedom in the tablet kickstand angle. Hmm. So test, test takers can adjust the tablet angle to virtually any position that's most comfortable for them and minimizes any glare in their test center. Oh, should have done that a long time ago. By the way, about this phrase, this is a bit of a tangent, but when we were flying out to uh, New York City, right, we were on the tarmac for uh, three hours. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, that sucks. At one, point, at one point, the flight was ultimately canceled, as you know, and I, we came up on uh, the train. But at, at one point, the pilot got on and said, or I don't know who it was, but he said, all right, um, in about 15 minutes, uh, you're going to have the luxury to get off the plane if you'd like to get off. 
I was like, that's a luxury. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just an interesting twist of phrase. Ground delays um, are the, are the worst, man. I feel, I feel for you on that. I, I fly like really, I fly very frequently and I, I'm like very calm. I realized the other day that I'm my best me when I'm at the airport mm. You know, everybody else is their worst them. Like that people completely freak out at the airport and just like are miserable humans. Um, because I fly so frequently and I have, you know, friends that are pilots and stuff. I'm, I'm like totally chill at the airport. It's, I just like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I go, I, it's like, I just do the exact reverse of what everybody else does. So I'm like, you're not Mm -hmm. stressed at all. I'm like totally cool at the airport only. Yeah. It's the one time where I will be like better than everyone else is just when I'm at the airport. But, um, I'm like smiling. I'm like talking to random strangers, smiling at people, trying to like make sure people are having a good day, you know, like especially to the employees who work at the, for the airlines because the passengers are just like total dicks to the airline employees. Yeah. Like as if it's their fault that the flight's delayed or whatever, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I do, I do feel you. The, the painful is painful when they put you on the plane and then you have to sit there and you were, you were there, you said for two to three hours. Yeah, it actually ended up, I thought it was initially two, but then when I, when I uh, did the math afterwards, we were on there for three hours. Ugh. The thing was, is they kept saying like, oh, we're going to leave in about 15 minutes or 30 minutes yeah. or something. And so I just kept doing email and, um, oh yeah, well at least you had work to do. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually it was like, it just thought it was funny when he's, he said, you have the luxury of getting off this plane. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'd call that luxury. Like, let's just like, thank you. It's a disaster when they, the longer it delays, the more chance it is that it's just going to get canceled. Cause the, the crew will time out at a certain point. Right? That's what happened. Yeah. yeah the crew timed out and oh. they said, I'm sorry, you have to get off. And then <laughs> oh, man. So. that's so bad. Ouch. Well, then you got to take a lovely train ride. Yeah. And next time I'll be taking the train, I think. I mean, really, it wasn't that much difference in price and a lot more, getting to the airport. A lot more reliable and you can stretch yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, I think the train is the way to go if you can. Cool. So, okay. So, they, so almost. So, yeah, kickstands. <laughs> yeah. Kickstand on their tablet that they gave you and then they also, though, told you that you couldn't use the full functionality of the kickstand. But now, because people complained because of glare or whatever, now you can put it in virtually any position. Awesome. <laughs> what does that mean? Just, I don't know. <laughs> are they still going to have... Yeah, you're going to walk around and people are still going to be like, well, I mean, I guess you can't lay it flat. Are, do they have like a, are they going around with like a protractor well, to like measure the were, angle? Right? They were. You this heard about for, that, no? Yeah. This reminds me of like um, high school in the like 1950s when the teacher would go around with a ruler to check to make sure that girls' skirts weren't too far <laughs> up above their knee. You know what I mean? Like the measuring, like three inches above your... That, oh, yeah. They, they totally did, yeah. Um, I guess that makes sense. Just, <laughs> <laughs> the LSAC proctor going around the room with a measuring device of some sort to make sure that your thing is not <laughs> propped up too high so that someone oh my god anyway next what's the next bullet okay so things are supposedly going to be better in that regard the next thing is based on feedback from <laughs> test takers oh and the first one wasn't based on feedback we're improved we're improved we're improved yeah that needs to be we've improved but anyway go ahead we we no sorry i have to 
harp on that for a second. We've improved the quality of the scratch paper. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was our number one concern. That makes me laugh. <laughs> Starting with the October test, the scratch paper for the digital for digital test takers will have stronger <laughs> and white paper. What? Whiter. We'll have stronger. Oh, and whiter. Okay. Still, stronger and whiter paper with a much less prominent security, security watermark. These people. Yeah. <sighs> it's funny. They're just, I guess they're just lawyers. And lawyers are just the worst. So, <laughs> you know, it's hilarious that they, when they gave out the scratch paper, that was the surprise, right, from that July launch of the digital LSAT. We knew that they were going to be handing out scratch paper, but we didn't know there was going to be a huge, bold LSAC watermark right across the middle of the pages. And we heard from tons of people who were pissed off about that watermark. Apparently, it was real annoying. Well, I wanted to know what their purpose is. So they're like, when you're leaving the test yep. room, they can ask to see all your papers, and they'll know right I away guess. whether it's... But you can't bring any papers into the test in the first place. Yeah, so I really why don't. are you leaving with paper? <laughs> <laughs> And how are you going to see that paper? Someone's got it in their pocket, and you're gonna you're gonna ask them to pull their pockets out. They're just like I, insanely protective of their, um, just insanely protective of their intellectual property. Yeah, but no, I don't feel like the eyes on the ball here. You know, I, it's I, like, uh, yeah. Oh, and then so, and also they had to make stronger paper because people apparently were ripping through the paper <laughs> with their pencil. Mm. Like LSAC only gave out single ply, single ply scratch paper. So now they're get, now they're going for the well, full you know, luxury Charmin. Huh. Yeah, they did that for. I mean, that's how they've done the LSAT for a long time, right? The, the, the when the test is paper based, it's still on paper that's kind of <laughs> like phone book paper, kind of shitty. Yeah, cheap. They, they need to well, boy for two hundred bucks, they could get some some serious high quality paper. They really could afford some serious paper. Yeah. Anyhow, that's yeah. hey, this, these both of these things are it, you know, it's an indication that they're listening. I mean, kind well, kind of kind of, yeah. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, they they're taking some action, so that's good. I I got I got to read the rest yes. of this email. Uh he continues, the blog post outlines other steps we are taking to make the October test administration even smoother. Including ongoing training for our test center staff to further reduce check in times and technical issues. Take a look, and I hope you will share this information with your students. Please let me know if you have any questions. It's just more Trumpian stuff. It's going to be even smoother. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do ongoing training. Really? Like, I'm wondering how they're going to pull that off. You have proctors all over the country and I don't even know if you know who your staff are, right? Like they're just like assigning this to a school and the school says, okay, we'll do it. And then people have to volunteer to come in and proctor. I'm looking at the blog post now. Oh, currently is it 19. Great. There's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> there are currently 19,600 people registered for the October test and 27,700 registrants for the November test. Hmm. That's kind of crazy that there's, 50% more signed up for November than October. Um, yeah. Maybe that's just because September was also there. 
We guarantee that everyone who registers for the LSAT by the respective deadlines will have the opportunity to take the test. I guess that's a response to the cancellations from last time or, but that's, it's, it's meaningless. We guarantee that they will have the opportunity to take the test. Um, maybe not that day though. <laughs> right. Cause that's what happened with the people who got, who got the last minute cancellations. They, they, they just got like an email saying, Oh yeah, well you could take it. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you when you're going to take it. And then some people got an email like four days before they were supposed to like, okay, yeah, you're registered for the test now, four days from now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of the date you scheduled two months ago when you registered. Yeah. Anyway, what the hell? We encourage test takers to spend time on familiar.lsac.org to familiarize themselves with the layout and features of the digital test, comma, and to try both the stylus and their fingertip during the tutorial <laughs> session at their test center so that they know what works best for them. So you can use your finger or you can use the stupid stylus. Okay. We won't, it doesn't say anything about like in the email, it said that there was going to be some uh, like information about the training or whatever that they were going to do for the testing centers. But all I see here is one sentence that says we won't be satisfied until every test taker has a smooth and positive test day. So we've been providing additional training guidance and technical support to our testing centers so they can deliver a great experience in October. Okay, that's just fantasy. It's impossible for every <laughs> single test taker to have a smooth test day. Like, like, it's just, it's blind ignorance. Like, even if you're a badass company and you have all your shit together and everything's operating at top-notch capacity, that's just an impossible goal. Well, they don't understand their own tests, right? I mean, they... With when you hear them talk about accommodations, for example, the mm-hmm. the fact that they think people are supposed to be finishing the test means they don't understand their own test. Yeah, because it's it's actually much easier to score one sixty. You know, if you're still trying to get to one sixty, you should not be finishing the test. Nope. But when they talk about accommodations, they talk about it as if like, yeah, everyone who got accommodated had plenty of time to finish the test, as if that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. But it's just clearly not. You're not supposed to be finishing the test. Not until you're going to score in the you know 90th or higher, 95th percentile or higher, right? Like 170 or higher. Yeah. Anyway, I uh, I had dinner last night with uh, randomly a friend of a friend who is a psychometrician. Okay. Yeah. Who, Someone who studies test taking yeah. and standardized tests. Yeah. Yep. She works for um, I think she works for ETS. But anyway, okay. I'm going to try to get more in touch with her because she was shocked. I was telling her a bunch of stuff about the LSAC and she's like, well, the people that I talked to at the LSAC, they didn't tell me that. <laughs> like, well, they might not know or they might be keeping secrets. But one huh. thing she was shocked about, she was shocked about the LSAC licensing program. Just, mm. the, just the fact that, that they have, you know, 91 practice tests and that you have to pay for 87 of those. Mm-hmm. And that the LSAC themselves sells books of their own tests, you know, the f- yeah. like the, as much as they just like love talking about justice and access and all that shit. I mean, the fact that they have license fees for their questions, yeah, is yeah. When I when I told her, you know, like the amount of the check I wrote to LSAC last year for my license fee for my books and stuff and classes and stuff, she was just like, couldn't believe it. 
Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I might get some more inside information from my new psychometrician friend. Um, cool. All right. Anything else about these updates? No. Nah. No. Nah. All right. Next thing on the agenda. Oh, this email about LSAT burnout. You got it? Sure. Hey, guys. I'm curious on your take on LSAT burnout. I've been studying steadily since January, wrote in June, and writing again in November. Uh, just FYI, writing means taking. So in Canada? Uh, yeah. yeah. I've been studying about an hour a day and a little bit more on weekends. However, recently I've started getting headaches by the end of the workday, which makes studying in the evening almost unbearable. I'm sleeping 8 to 10 hours a night, but still waking up exhausted. I, I don't know if this is LSAT burnout. This sounds like something else. If you're only studying an hour a day and a little more on weekends, that sounds about right. It's hard to imagine you getting burnout from that. That's my reaction. Sounds like burnout from work. Yeah. I mean, like your job, you might just need to put your job into a little bit more of a box, you know? Although, boy, sleeping eight to 10 hours a night and still waking up exhausted. I mean, that almost sounds like depression or. I don't know. That sucks, Larissa. Sorry about that. I do know that a lot of things can mess with your sleep if you drink or whatever right before you go to sleep yeah well having your phone right by the side of your bed is also bad right looking at your phone like right until the very last second before you crash yeah um one suggestion larissa would be to just study in the morning instead of studying after work um if you're getting headaches Mm -hmm. at the end of the work day and then you're going to sit there and try to study the lsat and it's unbearable it at general as a general rule if you find the lsat unbearable don't do it I mean, even if that means just like forget about being a lawyer. If you think the LSAT is unbearable, <laughs> wait for the horrors that are in store for you when you get to law school and the bar exam. Yep. You know, it's just like it, sometimes it's just it's not the right fit for everybody. So you got to figure out a way to like change your mindset. Maybe studying before work would be better. Maybe, you know, start leaving. I love your tip, Ben, to leave work on time. Mm. just like what are my hours I'm supposed to be working and when it hits five o'clock or whatever it is you should just be out of there because you got to take care of yourself right like you got to protect the asset Larissa Mm -hmm. your best asset is just you and you got to you got to get yourself into better shape she's been studying for a long time studying steadily she says since January and she's taking it again in November I don't know why she took it in June and then now she's taking it in November so she skipped July, September, and October. Yeah, I mean, maybe she just was a mile away. She probably shouldn't have even taken the June test, would be my guess. Anyhow, um, yeah. If you, one tip I give all the time: if you think you need a day off, you do need a day off, right? If you, if sure. it even crosses your mind, like I wonder, I wonder if I'm burning out. Well, then definitely you're burnt. Yeah, <laughs> you got to take some time off. Yeah. Although here, I don't, yeah, so take some time off, but I wonder if the source of the burnout is LSAT. It sounds like, like you said, it's work or something else. I mean, that doesn't seem normal to just start getting headaches by the end of the day of work. Yeah, combination of, of work and the LSAT at the same time, you know, just burning the candle from both ends for too long. Maybe, yeah. Vacation from work, shorten your work days, I don't know. All right, um, let's let's pick up the pace a little bit here. We got an email um, from Kendall 
with an update. So I show up to take my exam and guess what? The test is in paper format. I never got an email from LSAC with this information, but apparently some others that I talked to didn't either. Apparently they gave you the choice to take it today. This was from an email that they sent out where they gave you a choice to take it today in paper format or schedule for a later test date and take it digitally or receive a refund. If I did see that email, I still would have taken it, but being properly prepared would have been nice. I didn't have a watch, so it was hard to pace myself and I had to bubble in my answers, which as you know, I didn't have to do with the digital format. Ah, LSAC, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Thanks, Kendall. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I really like about the digital LSAT. I I like the getting rid of the bubble scantron. Yeah, the scantron. I know it's dumb. only a minute and a half and stuff, but it's just kind of a pain, and it's very nice to change an answer and instantly have it go from a cleanly bubbled A to a cleanly bubbled D, and then instantly back to a cleanly bubbled A. The <laughs> like whole, it's just the whole purpose of a scantron is so that you know they could like score the tests quickly mm-hmm. which they didn't do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully they'll be able to start turning the tests around, the scores around more quickly now with the new digital format, but that's unlikely. Anyway, All right. be prepared. Take away here. Yeah. Yeah. You might show up and it's paper. <laughs> that's not surprising given what we talked about. They have a limited number of digital uh, devices. It reminds right? me of us teaching our class in the hotel in Manhattan. Like yeah. We don't know if everybody's device is going to work properly. We don't know if the hotel Wi-Fi is going to work properly. So we mm-hmm. show up with like 10 backup paper tests. And yeah. yeah, sure enough, like there's gremlins for a few of the people, you know, couldn't get the hotel Wi-Fi to work or whatever. And so next thing you know, we're like handing out paper tests to those people that, and that's a hell of a lot better than, you know, what happened to some of those people who got their test canceled at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You see, I did choice. Well, anyway, what is this next? I have no idea. It's addressed to me, but I don't, this is, I'm seeing this right now. Says kids aren't being taught how to read. Okay, that's the title. Ben, this is addressed to me apparently. I heard you mention on a previous podcast that you never learned how to sound out words and that you just memorized them. <laughs> yeah, that is true, actually. I think you will find this podcast extremely fascinating and disturbing. Hard words, why American kids aren't being taught to read. Okay. Oh, podcast highlights. Thanks, Katie. Um, scientific research has shown how children learn to read and how they should be taught, but many educators don't know the science and in some cases actively resist it. As a result, millions of kids are being set up to fail. In 2017, only 36% of 8th grade students were proficient or advanced in reading, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, when it comes to sounding out words, I know I have, uh, I have all sorts of issues. I really don't know how things are supposed to sound together, so... What I do is I just listen to the word. So if it's a word I know, I just I know what it means, and I just remember what it sounds like, and I just say it. You've heard me slaughter words all the time. On the yeah, show. it's bizarre. Or like with when you when you encounter someone's name, an unfamiliar, uh, yeah, an unfamiliar I'm, word, you like can't sound it out. No, I I revert back to like you know sixth grade like letter guessing. It's weird. I th- I mean, I, I also went to like a reading specialist, I think, for a couple of years when I was a kid because uh. I think they were like, something's wrong with this guy. 
Now, keep in mind, this is different from understanding the meaning of the word. There are so many words that I see and I know what it means, but I don't, I just don't know how to say it out loud. And I do this in class too. I'll replace those words with just like letters. I'll be like, oh, that's A. I don't know. Yeah. So I could like, I guess, sit down and learn it. But the thing is, is if a word is common enough, then I've heard it. And so then I know how it sounds and I just say it. I'm just scanning this blog post and it's all about the like phonics versus whole language debate that people have mm-hmm. had about how you're supposed to teach kids to read. I don't know. It might be interesting. We can post it on the, on the show notes. Um, yeah. There's a table here showing that uh, in 2017, it's actually, it's showing a slightly rising trend, but it's okay. um, for, this is from the national assessment of educational Pro- progress and it has uh, 37% of fourth graders proficient or advanced in reading. So, I mean, you know, whatever. That's like semantics, right? Someone defined what proficient is for a fourth grader. Sure. So it's, I don't know, it's almost meaningless, I suppose. But <laughs> it's saying well, I don't understand the difference between fourth grade and eighth grade. It's showing that like some of these are the same or going down. I don't. I don't. I guess we'll have to read the article. Yeah, it's just it's a, it's around the exact same. It's around the, it's around thirty percent basically of fourth graders and eighth graders are what someone defined as proficient in reading. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I I think I'm like becoming just a, you know more cranky old man, but I see. I see my students, I'm pretty shocked at how bad they are at reading and writing, you know, like college graduates, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like I have lots of students from UC Berkeley in my class in San Francisco and some of them are awesome. And some of them I'm like, how did you possibly get a degree from UC Berkeley? Yeah. You know, and that's like a great school. Yeah. Don't get me started on (laughs) lots of other schools that aren't Berkeley. Mm-hmm. I just like, I, I don't know. It, it's like everybody can go to college and just borrow all this money. And then like, I just don't know whether they're actually learning anything. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me if kids aren't being how, taught how to read um, in school. Yeah. I'll check uh, this out. What's that? By the way, I should, I, this, yeah. this is total tangent, but I just realized too, that like all our kids, so I have four kids, right? Mm-hmm. And all of them are bad at, at, the reading process. So like sounding out words. So they're like a year and in some cases two years behind, um, the, the, their class, but then their math is a year to two years ahead. It's like this weird problem that we always have to deal with, with the schools. Cause they're like, we don't know where to put your kid cause they're so ahead in math and they're so re- far behind in reading. And then it's happened for each of our kids. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, I don't know what genetic mess up we have here, but, um, it's one of the problems when two people meet in a econometrics class, I guess. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but so there's some genetic basis here. I think that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, I hope the boys are, are all right there. Yeah. Well, no, we just, you just keep working. It's not like I can't read, read. It's about sounding out in this, at least for me at this point. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> should we dive into Kristen's personal statement? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is perfect. I do not know this person. Well, I mean, maybe I do, but I don't. There's a lot of Christians in the world, so I have no idea who we're talking about. This is okay. uh, this is ideal because it's like I get to now experience this as if I'm reading it as a 
as an actual admissions person, you know, like this is my mm-hmm. introduction to Kristen. Mm-hmm. Here we go. My gaze was focused on a man in a teal hat sitting 17 rows up, eight seats in. Okay, that's kind of odd to start with you looking at someone. <laughs> and it wasn't even you looking, it was your gaze. Yeah, the subject of the sentence is my gaze. The verb in the sentence is was. You could have said I focused, <laughs> which would make you the subject and focused the verb. Yeah. Is focused an adverb when you say that that way? My gaze was focused on a man in a teal hat? Uh, no, it's, it's just part of the verb phrase. Oh, it is. Was, was focused yeah. is the verb. Okay, mm-hmm. well. Anyway, all right, so you're looking at a dude. Yeah. In my prize bag, <laughs> I gripped the signed jersey that, unbeknownst to him, he was about to win. Okay, so now I'm thinking she's... She's working at a stadium and she's giving out prizes. Yep. And she's somehow they randomly choose people and she knows who it is. That's another weird sentence in my prize bag. I gripped. Yeah. The two action verbs you've given us so far are pretty uneventful focusing on looking at someone and then holding a shirt. (laughs) This isn't lawyer shit yet. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) At the next whistle, the, and then there's a name of a, of a hockey team, but it's redacted here so that she doesn't have to give away, you know, who she works for. At the next whistle, the redacted hockey game would pause for a three minute TV commercial break. Okay. You're not doing anything. The verb there is pause, huh? Mm -hmm. The game would pause for a whistle. Okay. During this time, the man in the teal hat's seat number would appear on the Jumbotron as the winning seat, followed by a live shot of me giving him the jersey for the 17,500 fans in attendance to see. Okay, we just finished the first paragraph, and I'm still wondering what the point of this is. Well, yeah, I'm like, okay, so you're a swag girl at at a... sports game. Um, okay. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that I don't, it's like, that's what the only thing I've learned about you is that you have that job, which great yeah. jobs are great, but like <laughs> jobs are great. They, well, they are. I mean, like if you're doing things, that's awesome. But, or, you know, and sure. just the, even the fact that you just like, you know, whatever I get like, Hey, you work for a living or, you know, you, you like, or I'm imagining this is some sort of like a college job or whatever, but like, yeah, you're, you're like a working person. That's great. Yeah. But like you didn't do anything yet. You're standing there waiting for the commercial. Yeah. All right. It's it's like she's trying to be cinematic, right? With like this offering this exciting moment. Like, hey, ooh, isn't this exciting? Surprise. Mm-hmm. He's gonna get a shirt. I mean, it's a signed jersey. I'm sure it's a big deal. But still. All right. The difference between the audience's experience as opposed to what goes on behind the scenes of a game is what baffled me the most when I started working in game day operations for the redacted name of the team. Uh, Okay. 
So you're really, you were confused about how things go on behind the scenes. Yeah, and it's vague, too. So wait, you're baffled by the difference between the audience's experience as opposed to what goes on behind the scenes. Why, why is that baffling? Of course the audience doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know. But you're supposed to be putting your best foot forward here, Kristen, and you're just not. You're like, This is a very common mistake that people talk about things that they're confused about or things that they're bad at Mm. baffled and confused and stuck and feeling hurt and awful and scared and all that. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were supposed to be making a case for yourself. Yeah. Weeks of contacting sponsors, planning and negotiating contracts worth up to $300,000 are sunk into the preparation of a three minute promotion. My job is to execute these promotions and to excite the crowd in a way that leaves a positive impression regarding the sponsor in their mind. How I execute each of the sponsor's promotions directly affects their satisfaction with the franchise and the likelihood of them continuing to partner with us. You know, I think she needs to move this whole story into the office. Don't you think? Um, I'm curious to see what she has to say. I can see that she's like showing us the end result, right? And that could be helpful, but there would be definitely things I'd want to take out of here. I don't know. I'm curious. Two paragraphs in, and now we're starting to get the sense of like, okay, so she she actually is in charge of putting these promotions together. That's mm-hmm. great. But mm-hmm. like the first paragraph, she seems like a, you know, just normal person employee you know like a not doesn't seem like she's in charge of anything yep she's like been told what to do what what which seat okay yeah I, so i read that first thing and it's just like what okay so you have a ten dollar an hour job working at the stadium handing out shit like that doesn't you know i i would much rather hear about your client load and you know business development and getting a contract signed and you know, um, keeping your cust- keeping the customers happy and improve, like increasing the amount that they spend with you and all that stuff. I, that's just much more interesting than the teal hat guy. But okay. Third paragraph. Yeah. I stood in the stairwell waiting for the whistle to deliver the Jersey when horrifyingly the man stood up, shuffled past the people in his row and exited down the sections opposite stairwell. He's going to get a beer or whatever. (laughs) Delivering a signed jersey to an empty seat would be dissatisfying for the fans in attendance to watch and canceling the promotion would have a negative effect on the team's relationship with that particularly large sponsor. Trying not to draw attention from the fans in the section, I determined the seat number of a nearby woman as well as a backup seat near her. I notified my boss so that she could relay it to the graphics team to change the seat number that would appear on the Jumbotron. Three minutes after the man in the teal hat stood up, the shrill sound of the whistle cued the promotion. There were groans and exclamations from the people around me as they realized they had not won the jersey. The graphics switched to a live shot as I hurriedly shuffled through the row until I approached the woman who was looking at us on the jumbotron in total disbelief of what was happening. I shook the jersey in front of her, 
as she threw two excited fists in the air. Okay, it's too much about this stuff. Way, way too much about this stuff. I, it's like, yeah, you, you, you could have said this in one sentence. You thought on your feet. You switched it to somebody else at the last minute so that you could keep the client happy. I mean, I don't know. I guess a skeptical reader is also going to go, you didn't like think about that in advance? Yeah, that doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> like this is the first time. I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe it is literally the first time they've ever like done this, go out into the crowd and give somebody a thing. But I don't, I've been to lots of games of lots of different sports and I've seen these types of things before. I don't. Okay. Yeah. Our image faded on the screen and was replaced by the sponsor's logo. The woman excitedly told me that I had just made her first team, insert team name, redacted. We'll call them the redacted. They're, they're just the redacted. Okay. <laughs> I had just made Marie. her first redacted game, one she'd never forget. Making my way back down the stairs and onto the concourse, I passed the man in the teal hat. He was returning to his seat, appearing as happy as he could be with a refilled drink. I glanced at him and thought, oh, if only he knew. However, the fact that neither the man nor any audience member knew how badly the promotion had almost meant, had almost went, meant I had done my job well. My boss congratulated me on a smooth execution as I prepared for another giveaway the following period. So wait, now I'm starting to get the sense you don't have a lot of sway in the back office operations of how these things come about you just execute the delivery this is an awful theme for a law school personal statement sorry but i would rather hear about almost anything else besides this um i will give you this much uh is Kristen or who's this yeah Kristen. Kristen. you do write in a natural tone and you don't use big words you just kind of speak how you would yeah and so i like that it's easy to follow what you're saying yep. we just need to talk about something else now you do have some stylistic things that you could improve but yeah your writing is good it's just not yeah the right story it's short you know that's good it's like it, yeah i agree it's tidy she's not like trying to stretch to use a bunch of big fancy words or anything that's good but mm -hmm. the theme to me just seems wholly inappropriate. I mean, I just can't imagine someone at a law school reading this and going like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a great lawyer because look how she decided not to give this jersey to an empty seat. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, what is the point of that? I don't. Something unexpected happens every night working for the redacted. And in my experience, I have learned how to assess oh, and resolve no, no, no. the situations calmly and quickly. Oh, dear. That's all telling. Yeah, and you've given us exactly one piece of evidence, which was you decided not to give the jersey to an empty seat. Which, like, yeah, good on you. I mean, you you know, you thought quickly and you had them give a substitute seat. Awesome. But, like, because of that, now you, in your experience, you have learned how to assess and resolve the situations, plural, calmly and quickly. Like, what? Like, what else you got? Yeah. So, let's talk about this. You have done some showing. You've showed us you doing something. That's good that it's showing, but you showed us the wrong thing. Now here you're telling. So this is an example of showing versus telling. Um, showing is good, but we need to show some other things. We need to show some <sighs> hard work. Yeah. 
Um, okay, this is the last paragraph. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll just get try to make it through here. As I have gained experience and a positive reputation within the redacted franchise, I have been assigned to positions of leadership, including providing input on potential new hires and training the rookies each season. I have continued working this part-time job while, while working full-time as a case assistant at a law firm in Redacted because of the nightly challenge it presents. Working in sports has taught me how to work under pressure, how to work long hours, and how to adapt to sudden change. I believe these traits will help me excel in law school, where I expect to gain the skills needed to pursue a career as a member of the legal team of a sports franchise. There, I will be able to explore the dynamic intersection of the law and sports. Okay, everything about this last paragraph is horrible. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, it's, this, yeah, I would take this whole statement and put it in the trash and start over. Yeah, so just focusing on these sentences one at a time, really quickly, it says, as I have gained experience and a positive reputation with this franchise, I have been assigned to positions of leadership, uh-huh. including providing input on potential new hires and training the rookies each season. Okay, so if you have been assigned to a position of leadership and you actually had opportunities to lead, that's what your personal statement should be about. Right, this you're you're falling into this trap of like let me gloss over a bunch of cool sounding things but there's really nothing there so i can't dig into them i'm just going to kind of allude to them like oh provided input on potential new hires right now i read that and i'm thinking okay so the person who actually made the decision is like what do you think and you're like yeah i kind of like them and they're like okay great we're going to hire them that's not that's not huge. Then you go on here and you say, I've continued working this part-time job, blah, 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 while working as a case assistant at a law firm. I want to hear about that. What have you done at the law firm? Yeah, this job there you, <laughs> This job at the hockey team sounds like something that a high school kid could do. Yep. But you're a full-time case assistant at a law firm? Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear about that. What are you doing there? And again we got to do showing then you say because of the nightly challenges it presents that's telling i don't know oh, apparently it's so challenging working in sports has taught me there you go again people do this all yeah. the time like this is what i've learned this is what i know now how to work under pressure how to work long hours and how to adapt to sudden change like again we just had that one example and then this classic mistake but people do this. I don't know why they do this. Just don't ever say this. I believe these traits will help me excel in law school. That's what they're deciding. You're not deciding. Where I expect to gain the skills needed to pursue a career as a member of a legal team of a sports (laughs) franchise. It's like, I'm glad you expect to gain those skills, but like... And then this, this is just, again, this has to go. There, I will be able to explore the dynamic intersection of law, the law and sports. No, I mean, I, it's just, uh, what, why do I not like that last sentence? I, it just <laughs> predicts the future or something that it's like overly like academic. I don't know. Like, you're really going to explore the dynamic intersection of the two, or are you just going to work? She doesn't have any standing. As far as we know, she doesn't have any standing to make that claim. Like, she doesn't know anything about the intersection of we, law. Yeah, and sports. as far as I know, you know nothing about law and sports. I mean, you haven't showed me that you do. 
Did you work on a contract for one of these people or did someone else and they told you, yeah, go down and give them this shirt. And if you don't give it to them, they're going to get pissed. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> yes. And sorry, Kristen. I mean, really like we, you know that we're doing this because we want to help you make a better personal statement. That's the only reason why we're doing this, but you, you don't, you don't have the authority to make that conclusion. You haven't provided the facts that would justify anything about a law and sports career. Yeah. Right now you're just, uh, you're just a low level employee from what you've presented. This is what you look like a low level employee who is being tasked with fulfilling one aspect of this contract that you may or may not know anything about. If you actually hire and train people, then talk about hiring and training people, not handing out shirts. And well, you know, this is a classic thing too. check this out. I've been assigned to positions of leadership um, including providing input on potential new hires and training the rookies each season, including providing input. Like as soon as you say that, that sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like, oh, so you're really not doing much. Yeah. Are you interviewing them? You could say interviewing. You could say I yeah. interview, you know, instead of provide, like, what do you mean provide? And, and anyway, these new hires don't, it sound again, from what you've portrayed, I don't see why a high school kid can't do this job. Hand a shirt and jump up and down for the jumbotron. I mean, I don't, that doesn't seem like a, it's not lawyer shit. It's not even lawyer adjacent. You know, it's not, there's no, if you were, I don't know, boy, <laughs> I strongly encourage you, Kristen, to blow up this entire personal statement, start over and tell me what you do at the law firm. Yep. You're a full-time employee at a law firm. I know people think that that's boring, but that's what it is. It's like serious. It's serious. And if you can show yourself working in challenging circumstances on challenging cases, we had to do this. We had to do that. We had to do this. I was assigned this and blah, blah, blah. When you get done and you say either explicitly or implicitly that you want to go to law school, they know that you know what you're getting into. You don't have to say, oh, I'm familiar with the, uh, you know, I believe that these traits will help me excel in law school. It's like, oh, you know what you're getting into and you still want to do this? Great. Come. To law school. It's like she decided she wanted to go for this sports law theme. Yeah. Right? Like, Or maybe that's why she wants to go to law school, and so she's, like, trying to connect it. Well, I mean, that's what she's saying, that she wants to work, you know, as a – she wants to get it – she wants to be a, a member of the legal team of a sports franchise. But I, I would not – I don't think you should say that. I really don't. No. You don't? No. How many people actually end up doing that? Hardly anyone. I mean, it's, it, it just, it makes me what I think. And I now, and please don't take this as an insult, Kristen. I just, I'm trying to give you the perspective. Like, this is what I think they're going to interpret when they read this. They're going to look at this and they're going to go, Oh, so this kid is just trying to get some job in sports. Like what she really wants to do is work in sports. She does. This doesn't, this does not, there's nothing about this that makes me think you actually want to be a lawyer. It's just that you want to get a job working for whatever local team. Million college kids think that they want to get a job in sports. You know, I want to be a sports lawyer. I'm going to be an entertainment lawyer, you know, like, Mm, yeah. Okay. Don't talk about sports law. Don't talk about entertainment law. Talk about lawyer shit. 
Like yeah. they, you know, law school trains people to be generalists. So you, <laughs> to, to make them believe that you're going to be a lawyer, successful law student and lawyer. I don't think talking about sports helps you make that case at all. I actually think it undermines your case. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, not that there aren't sports lawyers and not that you can't actually go down that path. I just wouldn't talk about that path. I would talk about at my law firm. Here's what I do to help my clients and firm be successful. Yeah. You know, just talk about you. It's yeah. It might, you might think it's real dry and you know, Oh boy, you're going to lose the excitement of this Jersey giveaway, but I don't think that I just don't think this is doing you any favors at all. Yeah. Thank you though for sending it in. Um, we see lots of real bad personal statements. (laughs) I mean, it's like, well, you know, and I think probably what happened, Kristen, which is what happens to a lot of people, is because you're a good writer, you're what you're doing is you're reading each sentence and you're maybe even reading it out loud and you're saying, ooh, this sounds good, it's clear, it flows from one sentence to the next. And so then you're thinking, hey, this is pretty good. Let's like it's almost to where I want it to be. But you're missing like the big picture. Yeah. I, I suppose that that's a really, you know, it's a decent hypothesis. She was working so much on crafting the story that she didn't realize that she was just telling the wrong story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, start over Kristen. I mean, this is an example of one where like, if she wrote another personal statement about her, about her law firm, I mean, I would love to go through it on the show to just like, you know, we could have a comparison like before and after. Um, yeah. Because I think the impression that she's going to leave if she makes a, a a law firm personal statement, it's going to she's just going to look like a completely different candidate. Yeah. Cool. Um, <clears throat> well, you want to wrap it up there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, don't forget, you can join the uh, Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can follow us uh, at Thinking LSAT on social media. Visit strategyprep.com if you want to learn about Ben's classes and services in DC. You can go to foxlsat.com if you want to learn about my classes in LA and San Francisco. We both do one on one tutoring. Um, so you can visit those websites. LSATdemon.com is uh, really the future of our business. Um, people are absolutely loving it. We're using it in our classes classes. Um, there's a seven day free trial at lsatdemon.com. It's everything you need for, um, a full LSAT preparation. Uh, you can listen to the show anywhere. You can listen to podcasts, go ahead and subscribe on, uh, Spotify, Apple podcast, YouTube, Stitcher, or you can just listen directly and read the show notes, um, written by Adam day on thinkinglsat.com. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. That was episode 215 of the thinking else podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you don't pay for law school. Yeah.